welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gone. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news and wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly. Trade bodies warn that tariffs continue to harm the drinks industry. Constellation and Gallo deal, which has been long in the works, is finally due to go ahead. British supermarket Waitrose launched Old Vine Chenin Blanc from South Africa. Spanish breed of terrier awarded protected status in Jerez in the south of Spain. And as ever, our wine of the week. So Matthew, let's begin with our week in wine as usual. And we've had quite a pleasant day today. Um, we were hoping for rain, but we've got a bit of drizzle, a bit of overcast skies, and it's really starting to feel autumnal. Good news for all the first responders out there fighting fires. I'm sure this weather is going to help a little bit. And what is the containment right now? Well, the glass fire that's been affecting Napa and Sonoma is 75% contained, according to news from uh, Friday. And so this weather is definitely going to help. I don't think the drizzle will make much difference, but the cooler temperatures um, will, will, will hopefully um, stop the fire from spreading any further, especially as it's mostly under control. And Katie, you just got back from the winery. Uh, what news from the, the cellar? Yes, I did go into the cellar today in Napa. And it was a short day, actually. Um, seems to be wrapping up. Uh, we have a few more uh, bins of fruit due to come in. But for the most part, the harvest is wrapping up. And that's quite early uh, compared to last year, for example. Uh, though this year, 2020, uh, did start um, a couple of weeks earlier. So I guess we're just going to wrap it up a bit earlier. Yes, you've reported in the last couple of uh, pods that it's going to be a, a low quantity vintage, but a high quality. And I have to say, I was expect I was surprised to see you come home at two thirty. I was thinking you're going to be really late, and it's going to be a really busy day. But it seems a, a more measured harvest than previous years, where 2018, 2019 were really, really big vintages. Yes, well, the winery I'm working at, I think I've mentioned, is a custom crush. So, you know, bringing in fruit from many different producers. And overall, it's about, you know, 30% down um, in terms of quantity of of fruit coming in uh, to be crushed. So, yeah, just less time. But you know, I think the, the fruit that has come through looks really great, and I think there will still be some really nice wines coming out of 2020. Well, for me, uh, my highlight of the week was a virtual tasting, though I did actually have the wines in front of me to taste uh, myself. And this was Austrian Skin Contact wine, which was really interesting. It was hosted by uh, Pascaline Le Peltier, an MS based in New York, and a celebration of all things Austrian, but also of skin contact wine, which is sometimes called orange wine. But she is very um, adamant that it should be called skin contact because orange, um, the, the wines aren't always orange. They can be lemon or gold or amber or orange. And so um, there's a lot of variation. It was fascinating to taste these four wines from four different producers, different grape varieties, slightly different styles, lengths of contact. And we um, spoke to the winemakers and learned what they thought about it. And I think there's a great deal of excitement uh, about these wines because they really expressed terroir. That was their big theme, using the skins as you would in a red wine to really get the expression of where they come from. And all four wines are extremely good and proof that skin contact wine isn't just a gimmick, but um, is actually produces really structured, textured wines. Well, I was sorry not to watch the webinar live with you, but you did bring home the bottles, so I did get to taste them. Uh, very interesting lineup. And I think my favorite takeaway that you shared with me, I think one of the winemakers said that they don't make orange wine because they're not making the wine from oranges. 
Yes, I never heard anyone say that before, but you know, can't really dispute that fact. Uh, I don't know if it would confuse the general consumer, but maybe it would. Uh, but yeah, these aren't orange wines. They're, they're not coloured orange, but they do have skin contact. And so quite different from your ordinary white wine that doesn't have skin contact. And just um, producing um, really uh, structured wines. And I think my big takeaway as well, apart from um, that little joke, although I think he may have been serious, was that these skins give the wines more weight and more body because all of them were low alcohol, below 12%, but they didn't feel flimsy or dilute because the skins gave them the complexity and the body and the weight. So really balanced, harmonious wines, but not rich in alcohol and um, just very balanced. And just on another note, uh, before we move on, uh, one of these wines will be our wine of the week, but I also read that Austrian exports this year have risen despite all the uh, crisis and chaos Value has gone down a little bit, but volume has actually gone up. So Austria is in a really good place. They produce very consistent, very high quality wines where you just know you're going to get a good wine no matter the producer or the region. And so good news that the exports are on the rise. Indeed. I mean, when I'm in a supermarket or any independent retailer, I always look for that screw cap with the Austrian flag on top, because for the most part, you're going to get a good quality wine and a, and a pretty good value. Brilliant marketing. Now, on with the news. Trade bodies representing the drinks industry have written to the EU and the US government asking for an end to the trade war, which has blighted exports over the last 12 months. As the pod has reported, last November, the US imposed 25% on certain EU goods, including wine and other drinks, causing the EU to retaliate on products like US whiskey all because of a dispute over Airbus and nothing to do with the drinks business. We knew this would harm the drinks industry, but this week the exact toll was announced. Imports of wine into the USA from Germany, France, Spain, and the UK fell by 54% between November and July from $1.2 billion to $575 million. Imports of scotch all fell from $1.3 billion to $852 million. In return, imports of U.S. whiskey into the EU fell from $757 million to $449 million. Eighteen trade bodies wrote to the EU and the U.S. outlining the harm that the tariffs are causing to the drinks industry. Amid fears that the EU may raise tariffs on wine, rum, brandy, and vodka. Highlighting the damage the COVID-19 pandemic has inflicted on restaurants, bars, and other hospitality outlets, they concluded, quote, These tariffs, which have been imposed in connection with unrelated trade disputes, have generated severe economic pain for our sectors and our wider supply chains. Yes, yeah, so this news about tariffs um, comes at a bad time for the drinks industry and the hospitality sector uh, because of the global pandemic and the tariffs just compounding what has been a very difficult year. Um, in the UK, it was also announced this week that the number of licensed premises is down by 25,000 as further restrictions have been placed on pubs. In central Scotland, pubs have been closed and a 6pm curfew imposed, and Northern England is likely to follow suit this week. In March, there were 115,000 licensed premises, now there are 90,000. And although businesses have begun to reopen, after the initial uptake in eating out in August, service has slowed again with these new restrictions and uncertainty about what the government will do next. To add to the gloom, Green King have announced the closure of 79 pubs 
And then also 13 people have tested positive at Diageo in Glasgow. So it's a bit of a cocktail of um, bad news, really, with tariffs and COVID-19 and the effects on the drinks and hospitality industry. However, just to contrast that, at Tesco, the big uh, UK supermarket, pre-tax sales grew by over 28% over the course of um, this year. And so they're benefiting, especially with online sales, which have gone from 600,000 to 1.5 million. And so it is a changing environment. Quite right. And I think the drinks industry in general was really, you know, tooting the horn of the the success of the off trade uh, to sort of compensate for the losses on the on trade. Uh, but I think what we're finding is that these losses in the on trade are, are really going to start to affect the industry and we have already done so. Um, so perhaps the, the future isn't quite so positive. But as we know, you know, 2021 could bring loads of different things. I just know here in Napa, you know, they've allowed indoor dining, but at 25%, many restaurants are finding are struggling to find reasons to open their doors because it at 25%, it really doesn't make it worth your while to pay for staff and food and products, all those things. The long, ongoing deal between Constellation and Gallo has finally got the go-ahead. Announced last November, the deal was initially worth $1.7 billion, with Gallo buying 30 of Constellation's lower-tier brands, as well as six winemaking facilities. However, the deal was interrupted in May due to government monopoly concerns, and the deal had to be revised. And now Constellation will keep Cooks and J. Roger Champagne, so to speak, though they're from California, uh, Paul Masson Brandy, and Mission Bell Winery. The deal is now worth closer to a billion dollars. Brands being bought by Gallo include Claude Dubois, Black Box, Franciscan and Ravenswood. The deal is expected to be completed by the end of November. Um, In a separate deal, Constellation is also selling its New Zealand brand, Nobilo, for $130 million, also to Gallo. So Katie, what does this say about the demand for inexpensive wine? Why are Constellation so desperate to get rid of all these very successful brands? That's a very good question, uh, especially now in as the climate has changed quite a bit with COVID, with the pandemic, with uh, consumer demand sort of shifting as, as we speak. Um, and we've heard a lot about, you know, at, at the beginning of uh, the lockdown, how you know, these lower end brands were really kind of the drivers behind uh, the skyrocketing retail uh, sales. However, you know, speaking with a couple of different uh, independent retailers in the UK and in the US, you know, consumers now are also really looking for something different. And maybe that's a product of being in lockdown and needing a little variety at home. Uh, So now people are trading up, spending a little bit more on a bottle. So while all of these kind of entry-level wines, I'm sure will continue to thrive, uh, I do think that perhaps not quite as much as in the past. Yeah, it is interesting that Gallo was so determined to buy these brands because one of the trends for Gallo has been premiumization, buying Stagecoach Vineyard and some other expensive uh, brands. But here they are investing in inexpensive brands as well. The Ravenswood is perhaps a little higher Um, in quality than the other ones. But I remember overhearing someone who worked for Constellation about five years ago saying there's absolutely no money to be made in wine, it's all beer. And I think that decision for Constellation was made quite a long time ago to get out of this wine 
sector just because it's too much effort for too little reward. Um, I don't, I don't know if recent trends have kind of influenced their decision over this was just a long-term one. But Gallo are very experienced in marketing these wines and maybe they just have more resources to pour behind them, whereas Constellation just want to focus on beer and cannabis. Well, really, historically, Gallo has always owned this sector, uh, dating back to hardy red burgundy uh, with this kind of entry-level inexpensive wine. And Constellation has kind of been a little bit all over the place in its history. And so now it seems it's really wanting, as you say, to focus on cannabis and beer. Supermarkets in the UK all have their own label brands exclusive to their stores. Waitrose, which is a high-end retailer, has added an old vine Chenin Blanc from South Africa to its range. Working with the Kabzikt Winery, I'm sure I butchered that pronunciation, they spent two years applying for the vineyard to be certified Old Vine by the Old Vine Project. This project began in 2002 when viticulturist Rosa Kruger began to record all the blocks of old vines in South Africa. And in 2014, she unveiled a website cataloging old vineyards. The vines have to be 35 years old and able to produce good quality wine. There are currently 45 vineyards signed up to the project, while 10 are estimated to have over 100 year old vines amounting to 3,505 hectares. So Matthew, I remember when we were traveling there in, that was 2018, just at the start of the year, and we visited Moulinou. And I remember speaking with, a, it wasn't with uh, the producers, but it was with the their sales and marketing uh, person. And she was talking about this project and how that's how Moulinou got started and kind of looking for these old vines. And I thought the project was really interesting. Yes, and also we visited um, Saadi, who um, really emphasizes the old vines in South Africa. And definitely they agree that the way to mark, not just market South Africa, but to improve the quality of South Africa and give it an identity is to really focus on its history and its heritage. And a lot of producers uh, feel the same way because winemaking goes back 400 years. And these old vines are kind of literal, tangible proof that South Africa's winemaking history isn't just 25 years old. And I think people are immediately um, engaged by old vines. There's a sense of romance as well as history, and of course the quality as well. So it's interesting that Waitrose have worked quite hard to label their wine as old vine Chenin Blanc, not just as a kind of a marketing term, but also a legal technicality as well. And I think it will draw consumers in. And it retails for £14, which is a little bit higher than most people uh, will spend in, in the UK on South African wine. So it is saying, hey, this is a good quality wine. It's a bit more expensive, but the old finds justify it. A Spanish breed of terrier, Ratanera Bodeguero Andaluth, has been awarded protective status in Jerez for its ability to keep rats and mice out of the cellar which makes it a rich part of the city's cultural history, where sherry is, of course, produced. Uh, the dog is unique to Andalusia. Its origin comes from when English wine merchants brought fox terriers to Jerez and sherry country and bred them with local rat-hunting dogs. And then in the 1900s, it was crossed with the toy terrier. It looks like a Jack Russell, and the breed was formally recognised in 2000. And the purpose of protecting the breed is not just to recognise its rat-hunting ability, but also to encourage the maintenance of high quality breeding. 
Sounds like that comes just in time because at our visit at Tio Pepe back in November, and I recall on our tour, uh, we saw a small little ladder that was uh, constructed to accommodate a mouse and allow the mouse to climb to the top of the barrel to take a little bit of the sherry out. And I think this was a way of befriending the beast that haunts the halls of the sherry bodegas. Yeah, it was a fun story. And I think it was cream sherry that the mouse was uh, particularly uh, keen on. And uh, so, yes, in those old wooden cellars with lots of history, there are the mice and rats that can be an issue and can get into the barrel and cause leakage or spoilage. And so different ways of dealing uh, with the uh, the rodents, either giving them some sherry or setting a local dog onto them. Um, but I thought it's quite a nice story. Uh, just the kind of the Andalusian culture and history that there is this local dog which is really good at hunting the rats and the mice in the cellars and that they value it so much it's been protected in the city. I thought it was a bit of a marketing ploy with the little ladder and the, the picture of the mouse and all that, but I guess it really was a problem. So good to know that they found a solution. <laughs> And now for a wine of the week, which is Katie. Thanks, Matthew. I'm so glad you gave me this one. Christian Shida, Himmel of Arden, Meshvigoran 2019. Now put that in your pipe and smoke it. I think that's pretty good uh, pronunciation. So this phrase, Meshvigoran, means skin contact. That's not how I said it, Matthew. That's not how I said it. I think it was close enough, and I, I'm not going to claim that I've got it correct either. And this is referring to uh, the Austrian skin contact tasting that I that we were talking about in our uh, week in wine. And this was the favorite of all the four wines that we tasted. I thought this is absolutely fantastic. I don't recall it being your favorite when we first tasted them. And then when I tasted them blind as well, this was my favorite. And then our friend Tom Darling, who you tasted live on the webinar with, also claimed this as favorite. And so you changed your mind. Is that right? Well, it was interesting revisiting them. So I tasted them in the morning with um, our friend Tom. My fa- my initial favourite was um, by a producer called Jerschitsch, which was a, a really good wine from Grunewald Lina and certainly remained a favourite. But this one kind of overtook it um, on retastings. It just had a bit more structure and a bit more depth and a bit more complexity. That was a very close run thing. And so I was very impressed with the overall quality of all four wines, but those two were my favourite. And this one emerged on retasting and then tasting it the next day as well as the one that really, um, really did the job. Well, and it's not Gruner. So this is a blend of one of my favorite grape varieties to pronounce, Schoirebe and Muscat. And it shows that skin contact can really work and why it works. So Christian Shida, he was on the webinar. He's an entertaining character. He's actually the one who said you can't call it orange wine because it's not made from oranges. He is very matter of fact and to the point. And he's been making this wine since 2010. And in that time, he's really been experimenting with skin contact. He's actually made 24 different versions in those 10 years, trying to perfect it and just see what works and what doesn't. And I think the reason it works is because this is a wine where the alcohol is below 12%, but there's still real body and texture and complexity to it that comes from the skins. And the skins give it complexity, but they don't overwhelm the wine. And, and I think that's the, it can be an issue with skin contacts, like how much do you do to make it 
uh, really um, balanced. And the reason that he started making it uh, back in 2010 is because he is making a white and he pressed it as usual and then just put the skins into the compost. And he said that the compost actually smelt better than the wine did. So he thought, why not actually make it in contact with the skins if they smell that good? Wait, so did he actually take the skins from the compost and put it back in the wine? No, he decided in the future that he would just leave the skins with the wine rather than throwing them into the compost. And uh, so that's kind of how that originated. Yeah, some of these Austrians are pretty crazy. So it wouldn't surprise me if uh, he had done that, but no, he didn't. And so the grapes are hand harvested, they're destemmed, they're foot trodden, uh, skin contact for two to four weeks, indigenous yeast, no fining, filtering, or sulfur. So this wine is about as natural as you can get, but absolutely fantastic because it wasn't funky, it wasn't weird. It was just a really, really good white wine. No, that's what I loved about it so much because sometimes with these skin contact wines, it just becomes so overwhelming. And, you know, this one was just light, fresh, but just had that lovely texture and was concentrated, uh, really a proper wine. And definitely these wines are very good food wines, very food friendly because of that tannic structure. And then the fruits, I think they can be drunk with very hearty food, which Austrian wine often is, or with spicy food as well. And that's often a problematic pairing. But I think the uh, skin contact and the fruit and the acidity will just really stand up to a spicy dish. Cheers to that. And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can uh, rate us, can't you, Katie? That's right. We invite you to please rate and review us. We'll take the good and the bad. We hope it's mostly good. Anywhere you get your podcasts or send us a note. We'd love to hear from our listeners as well. And engage with us on Instagram. Love to hear your stories, your feedback, your comments, because uh, we're giving you the news, but we want to hear your news as well. <laughs>